0: Well, we return again to our series on a biblical theology of work, and the topic before us this morning is work and the Great Commission. Work and the Great Commission. So, what is the Great Commission? Let's just maybe begin there before we talk about work and how it relates to it. What is the Great Commission? Simply put, the Great Commission is a mandate given by the Lord Jesus Christ following His death and resurrection. A mandate given to go into all of the nations and to make disciples or learners of the people that we would find there. The Great Commission appears in one form or another in all four of the Gospels as well as in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Probably the most uh, well-known and maybe you could even say comprehensive uh, version of it is found in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 28 there at the end, and I would turn you there to Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, where Matthew records these words as he closes out his Gospel record. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me and in heaven and on earth. go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father." The Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's probably worth the investment of time this morning to review quickly the sort of an outline of this great commission. To put it fresh into our minds. Because it's a, it's a rather audacious kind of mandate, isn't it? To go into all the world and make learners or disciples of all the nations. What right do we have to do that? What right do we have to, to, uh, to use a sort of a cultural expression, to impose our religion upon other people? Why don't we just keep quiet about it? What right do we have? Well, the right lies in Jesus' statement in verse 18 that all authority has been given to me. Jesus has as the, as the resurrected Lord of all, He has authority over all and He tells us to go do this. That's where the right lies. That's where the authority comes. And it remains in full force and effect, not just upon those those early disciples, the eleven there, but through them upon each and every one of us who claim Jesus as Lord, all the way, in the end of verse 20, to the end of the age. So it's still in effect today, and it will be in effect tomorrow and, and the next day, and it will continue in effect until Christ returns and sets up and establishes His kingdom. Now what is the motivation for this kind of a mandate. Well the motivation lies in the love of God. It is in the love of God. It is the love of God that first sent Jesus into the world. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he sent his son. It begins with the love of God. And it continues through Jesus to each and every one of us. John chapter 20 verse 21 Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I also send you. It is an expression of the love of God to make disciples. How far and wide should we go? Is it a narrow and confined endeavor? What is the expanse of the mandate, if we ask it that way? Well, the expanse is determined by God's original promise to Abraham. All the way back to Genesis, chapter 12, verse 3. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What is the expanse of the mandate to make disciples? As Jesus says it here, it is, verse 19, of all the nations. All the nations, all the people groups of the world. It is comprehensive. How do we go about it? What are the means by which we do this? Well, the Gospels give us three. It is by witnessing, by witnessing, that is testifying that which we have seen and heard, that which has occurred in us. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It is by preaching. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. It is by baptizing and teaching. Matthew 28 verse 19. Baptizing and teaching verse 20. So how do you go about the Great Commission? You witness, you preach, you teach, and you baptize converts. What is the power to do such things? This is a pretty audacious mandate, don't you think? We're going to go into all the world and make disciples? By what power can we do such things? This is the power of the Spirit of God, is it not? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. It is the power of the indwelling Spirit of God in our soul that gives us the power we need to go into all the world and make disciples. It is the same Spirit of the living God who brings conviction to the hearts of men and women convicting and convincing them first of their own need for the Savior and then the fact that Christ is that Savior who can forgive them and reconcile them to God. So we do these things not in our own strength, not in our own power, not in our own wisdom, not in our own eloquence. We do it in the power of the Spirit of God. God's work, God's way, by God's power. And that brings us an assurance of success. There is a built-in assurance of our success. And the assurance lies in the reality that Jesus Christ, Lord of heaven and earth, is with us in the endeavor. Lo, I am with you always. How long? To the end of the age. To the end of the age. Now, usually when we think and talk about the Great Commission, we think and talk about it in terms of of a missionary endeavor, right? We We need to send... Someone out or someone's out to the, to the far corners of the earth in order to make disciples. That's the Great Commission. That's an aspect of it, to be sure. Or we, we tend to think about disciple-making within the four walls of the church. We're a disciple-making church. We need to be involved in disciple-making. And so we think about making disciples within this body amongst one another. Who can I find let me go through the church directory so that we, so that we can have a disciple-making relationship. We're all busily discipling each other. But I want to suggest to you that it's more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not just something for a few. It's not just something that we do in house. But then, the reality of the matter is that the mandate is very expensive and that it flows everywhere into every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. Wherever we go, whatever we are doing, we are about the business of disciple-making. About the business of disciple-making. And we need to understand that the, the Great Commission is fulfilled in small part In each and every one of our lives as we undertake to work in our portion of the vineyard. Our little corner of the field. The mandate here, by the way, the imperative, the command is is not in the going. It is in the disciple making. As you are going, or having gone would be a more literal translation... The imperative is to make disciples. Make disciples. Now, we live in an interesting time in America, don't you think? A very interesting time. America is growing increasingly secular before our eyes. In fact, it's, it's astonishing the rate of speed in which secularism is, is like a wave sweeping over this country. The reality of that is, for many people, the thought of darkening the doorway of a, of a Bible-teaching church is so completely beyond their, their thought process or their experience base. They're just not going to come, for the most part. This is not the 1960s, where all we have to do is put a sign out front and open the door and people will come. There are generations alive in this country, born in this country, that never go to church. And that's going to become increasingly true. We live in a very secular country. And that's just the reality in God's providence of what it is. Another interesting reality in the providence of God is is that America is, is relationally isolated and very mobile. Relationally isolated and exceedingly mobile. It's unusual for people to to remain at the same address for any length of time. People are constantly moving. Constantly moving. Within a three-mile radius of this property, over 300 new residence addresses occur every single month. Every single month, month after month after month, more than 300 new residents moving in. It's amazing. We live in a mobile, isolated society. What that means is is the opportunity to have spiritual conversations with your neighbor next door are dramatically reduced. Dramatically reduced. They may not live there long enough for you to get to know them. Or you may not live there long enough for them to get to know you. And, and the function of, of where we live here, right? We, we have fences and we have garage door openers and, and everything else. And we just sort of isolate ourselves. That's the world we're living in. But, you know, there's a, another interesting fact. And that is for the majority of us, we spend more waking hours at work than at any other place. More of our waking hours spent on the job. And the interesting thing about that is that at work, you are in contact with people. You are in contact with people. It is unavoidable. It is unavoidable. Furthermore, work is is relationally oriented. Relationally oriented. You, you, you just have to interface and interact with coworkers, don't you? It's relationally oriented. And, and because it's relationally oriented, check this out. It is unavoidably evangelistic. Because work is relationally orient, oriented, it is unavoidably evangelistic. Now what I mean by that is that, that everybody at work is evangelizing. Everybody, every worker is evangelizing. What I mean by that is every worker there is, is is living out their worldview. The way they think about work, the way they speak, the way they conduct themselves at work, that's all their worldview just spilling itself out and it's evangelistic. They're not seeking necessarily to convert you to it, but they're but they're preaching it, they're they're proclaiming it at work by word and deed. And if you're, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're doing the same thing at work. Your worldview, your, your understanding of the Lordship of Christ is, is spilling out. Now, not perfectly, I understand, but it, but it is spilling out. And, and so what I want to do this morning is I just want to say we need to be more overt about it. That's all. You're bringing Jesus to work with you. Just be a little more overt about that process. It's unavoidable, but if we're going to do this, we need a plan that's what this morning is about is i I want to give some ideas that will that will maybe stimulate your thinking this is not a this is not a list of things that you have to do these are ideas these are these are hopefully little bomblets that will uh, will be used of the Spirit of God to stimulate your thinking as how to become more intentionally a Christian at work in order to make disciples of the nations. So what I want to do is suggest some ideas for disciple-making. Some ideas for disciple-making through our work so that we will integrate into our work the Great Commission That's what I want to talk about. Integrating the Great Commission into work. So you ready? Okay, here we go. How do we do it? Number one is to pray. To pray. Not occasionally, but regularly. To regularly pray first for motivation to do this. For God's motivation to do this. And then for for God's help to love people. See, it is, it is God's heart of love for the world that motivated Him to send His own Son, right? John 3.16. So we need the heart of God in these things. We need to begin to, to, to try to, to love people like God loves people. And you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I need God to help me. I need the Spirit of God to work in me. And I need to ask. I need to ask. So We pray. We begin by praying. We follow that up with a really uh, very interesting uh, but simple thing. Make friends. Make friends. Uh, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do, right? First off, it kind of takes you back to number one. Well, I don't really like them. So, so you know, I'm like stopped already. See, so, you know, we'll revert to number one and pray. <laughs> And pray. We need to make friends at work. That's as simple as that. And in order to, to have a friend, you need to be a friend. At least that's what my mother always said, and my mother was right in that. So we need to be friendly at work. And that means that we need to, to expend some effort in friendships, pursuing friendships. Now what that means is you have to, you have to talk you have to talk you have to open your mouth and you have to actually speak to your coworker with more than a grunt you need to you need to engage them and and talk to them go to lunch together with them perhaps i'm not advocating in any way that that you take time you're supposed to be working to do these things i'm saying there are a lot of opportunities that occur naturally in work in which you can begin to make friends. Take them to lunch. Talk to them. Find out what interests them. What perhaps shared interests you might have in common with your co-workers. Oh, but I couldn't do that. You see, if I do that, then that's going to take time away from my family because I want to get to work one minute before it starts and leave you know, one minute after it ends. And I don't want my family to have to sacrifice at all. Well, if, if if the wines had that mentality, they wouldn't be leaving for Argentina tomorrow. Right? Yeah. Are we unwilling to do what we'll ask someone else to do? There's sacrifice involved. We need to make some sacrifices. And so we need to talk about it as a family and, and agree together that, yes, this is going to require some sacrifice. So, so how are we going to do this? What are we going to have to not do that we're presently doing so that we have time to do this? Third, we need to live out our faith in our work ethic. should almost go without saying, but it's, I think, necessary. We claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs to show in the way we work. It needs to show in the way we work. We don't want to undo with our effort, our work ethic, Everything we say with our mouth, right? So the two need to come to balance with each other. Four, we need to salt our speech with the gospel. Salt our speech with the gospel at work. And what does that mean? That just means that, that you be yourself. You be yourself. So you, God is at work in your life. And so when something happens in your life, you, you just speak out of the reality of who you are as a Christian. And you can you can you can speak in praise of God. You can speak of the sovereignty of God in your life. You can speak of the faithfulness of God. You can speak of the relationships you have with other believers. You just vocalize who you are. Simple as that. And the gospel becomes part of that. Fifth, we need to be authentic in the building of our relationships. We need to be authentic. What do I mean by that? That means we need to to, to really genuinely care about the other person and and become their friend. Even if when we finally get around to to sharing the gospel with them, if they refuse it, we're still their friend. See, if, if a friendship is only so that you can get to the place where you can preach the gospel to them, they will know that. They will know that. They will sense that. And they will see you as someone who does not really care about them. You care only about delivering some product that you want them to buy. We need to be friends. It's Back to the relationships. Be authentic in our relationships. People are not evangelistic projects. They're people. Six. Once you've established a relationship... Then you can begin to build the relationship for gospel growth. So here's some possibilities: invite them over to your home for dinner. Invite your coworker or coworkers to come to your home for dinner. In the context of your home, they'll, you know you're on your own turf, and and there will be opportunity to speak more about Christ and they'll see you in a different context and environment. You can offer to pray for them in their times of need. I mean, we're all, we're going through life and we all have stuff going on. So, so maybe they have a, a parent who's, who's dying of cancer and, and you can tell that it's really heavy on their heart. You can come alongside them and you can, you can offer to pray for them and pray for them. It's a part of loving them. And loving them as a Christian, you can visit them in the hospital themselves. That'll blow their minds, right? What are you doing here? I care about you. You can attend their children's big events, right? You know, people are proud of their kids. uh, Judging by bumper stickers, you know. So if if their child is is got a recital, go to the recital. Why? Because you care about them. It's a big event in their life. If if there's a a school play, there's a big sports event. I mean, there's just all kinds of these things that happen. And coworkers talk about this stuff. Utilize that opportunity to further deepen the relationship. You can invite them to church. Come to Easter. Invite them to the Easter service. Invite them to a men's breakfast. Invite them to a a woman's breakfast. As you begin to get to know them, offer them that invitation. You might be surprised. You might be surprised. As the relationship further deepens, you can you can offer to read the Bible together with them. How about a how about a one to one Bible reading? together in uh, in david helm's book called one-to-one bible reading it's available in our church library in the back of that book there's a there's an eight-week plan to read through the gospel of mark together with an unbeliever including some suggested questions that you can ask along the way people are curious about the bible it's a holy book there there is still a, a sense in in most people in which they they have a kind of a reverence for the Bible they just don't know anything about it and, and you can you can offer to them let me read it with you, you be amazed what God might do. you can start a, a bible study at work maybe during your lunchtime or or maybe after work or before work I mean there's all kinds of options available to you. Start a, start a little Bible study, a little investigative Bible study. And invite people. Invite them. Again, you might be surprised. They know you're a Christian. They, they want to... They, and And if you build a friendship, they know that you care about them. They want to know what makes you tick. Why are you so different? Hey, would you like to read the Bible together with me? Would you like to... Would you like to have a little Bible study? A few of us are going to get together and have a Bible study. Would you like to come? It's only going to be for a few weeks. You know, don't don't ask them to commit to, you know, a Bible study that's going to take them, you know, into the next decade. Just something compact. And, And you don't have to dump the whole boatload on them at one time. Memorize the gospel. You need to memorize a clear gospel presentation. But when the opportunity comes and they say, well, okay, you're a Christian, but what is, you know, what is the Christianity? What is the gospel? You need to be able to coherently speak forth the gospel to them. And the problem for most of us is, is that we have all this Bible knowledge and then they, the question comes to us and we, and we stumble over our own tongue. Stumble over our own tongues. There's a a very good track called Two Ways to Live. It's available out in the connection corner. The elders are determined first to to memorize this track ourselves, and we are working on it, and over time to to help spread it out through the congregation to help you memorize it as well. To work through something that is clear and, and logical as we work through with somebody, how do I become a follower of Jesus Christ? And what does it mean? So memorize a gospel presentation. Seventh, seventh idea for how to integrate the Great Commission and work is to get some biblical and theological training on your own to get some biblical and theological training on your own so that you will be able to answer people's questions. Now, you you might think, well, I'm not all that motivated. I, you know, I don't really read much, so the idea of reading books, you've got to be kidding me. Right? I read all day at work. The last thing I want to do is come read a book about theology or, or attend some class or whatever. So if you're not motivated now, uh, you will be when people start to ask you questions. When people start to, as you begin to to live out your faith in this way and people start to ask you questions, you begin to go, gee, I don't really have a good answer for that. Can I get back to you on that? And so the, that creates the motivation to study more. So get some biblical and theological training and begin to use the tools that you have. Eighth, here's an idea. Organize other believers at work. Or maybe if, if you're in a situation, maybe you're in an office building and you, you, you bump into people in the office building and you, eventually you find out that others are followers of Christ. Organize together to, to meet maybe a couple times a month and to pray together about reaching your your business or, or maybe even your industry or perhaps this uh, local office building for Christ. Actually enlist others alongside you and, and begin to pray And see what God might do. Strategize together. How could we, as as followers of Christ who have have been providentially salted into this work environment, how can we reach it together? So it's not just me. But we're working at this together. Nine, here's another idea. Maybe you have a hobby. That's that's work. It's good work. It's God-honoring work. And as you pursue that hobby, you will, you will undoubtedly begin to encounter other people who have the same hobbies, the same passions. If for no other reason, then you're, you're going to begin to shop together in the same environments in which, you know, your hobby is, is, um, supplied. How about inviting those who share your hobby to come to your home and, and practice your hobby together? And then, and then live your Christian life out in your home among the hobbyists. Let me illustrate it for you. I have a friend who, who works for the guitar center. Works for the guitar center. He's a salesperson in the guitar center. He's also a, a very good guitarist and, and he, it's kind of his hobby. He, he loves to play the guitar. And so working in the guitar center, you run into lots of people who like to play the guitar. And so what he has done is he has invited people as he's gotten to know them. They come in all the time. They're always buying strings and, you know, who knows, whatever stuff they need. And as he gets to know these regulars, he has invited them to his home to play the guitar together a couple of times a month on a Friday night. Now he lives in, in, uh, he actually lives in Arkansas and, and the, uh, the place where he lives is called Pickers Ridge. So it really fits well because that's what he's called it is Pickers Ridge. And so for a couple of Friday nights a month, they get together and they just play the guitar together. They, you know, jam. And in the process of that, outside of just the customer relationship, he's building friendships and relationships with these people. And he's beginning to talk to them about Christ. Because it's obvious he's very different than they are. He's a great guitarist. He loves the guitar, but, but he is a Christian. And they're curious. They're curious. So use your hobby if, if your hobby is, is stamping or photography or stitching or model building or carving or on and on. Harvest it for the gospel. Ten. Ten. This speaks to those whose, whose work is inside their home. Primarily here I'm thinking about at-home moms. At-home moms who are, who are busily engaged in a great and God-honoring and glorifying work within their homes, raising their own children and making disciples among their own children. And that is an incredibly important task. Incredibly important task. But even in that environment, you say, well, I'm just in the home, so, so I, don't, I don't work outside my home. I don't have the opportunities and relationships that someone else does. Well, yeah, actually, you do. You do. You just need to think strategically about it. So, for example, your, your children have playmates. They have friends. Utilize those relationships to begin to make relationships with the parents of your children's friends. Invite them into your home for dinner. Begin to get to know them. Invite the, invite the moms over for coffee as the kids are playing together. As the kids get older... Make your home the base of operations for all the school projects. Just in, invite them to come there and, and, and make your home a place where they want to come. So bake some good brownies. And when they come home from, you know, from junior high school or high school and they've got to do a group project together, let the group project be done in your home. And begin to get to know people that way. Listen, most people come, most kids grow up in, a, in very relationally cold environments. Most most young people grow up in relationally cold environments, and they are starving for authentic relationships. And, amazingly, authentic adult relationships. So if your home is a is a place where, where it's just a fun to be, it'll be a magnet. It'll be an absolute magnet. And you can have tremendous gospel opportunities in that. Your kids are involved in activities, right? You've got dance recitals. You've got you know, Little League and soccer and and on and on and on. Utilize those opportunities because you're standing on the sidelines or sitting in the seats with a whole bunch of parents who are watching their kids perform. Use those opportunities to begin to make friendships, relationships among those who are in attendance at these children's events. And then build from there. Invite people to come to Park Day with you. Just invite him to come to your to your park days and and begin to get to know them. Here's another one for you. As you think about shopping, I'm still speaking to at home moms here, but as you're thinking about shopping, think about where you go to shop, and think about who the cashier that you that you see on some kind of a regular basis. So so here's my challenge. Don't choose the shortest line. Choose the same line with the same cashier week after week, day after day. Go through that person's line. And I'm going to presuppose it's a a lady's line. So go through this lady's line regularly and begin to talk to this person and begin to develop some kind of a relationship. Use the same local businesses. Don't necessarily shop where you can squeeze the, the best penny out, but think of shopping as a relation, uh, relational opportunity, a gospel opportunity, to begin to build relationships with shopkeepers, cashiers, local vendors. And from those relationships, then you have gospel opportunity. It's just a different way of thinking. That's all. What we're really just advocating here is nothing more than being intentional about how we live life. Just being intentional about it. Seeking out relationships. Investing in those relationships. Praying for the Spirit of God to work and move in those relationships. And as opportunity presents itself, opening up our mouth and speaking for Christ. Let's pray. Father, you have put before us a world of opportunity, each and every one of us. Many, many relational chances that you give us. Many relationships that we already have that, Father, we confess we haven't really thought of them in redemptive terms. Father, we confess our sin in that we tend to see people for what we can get out of them. And we tend to approach relationships, particularly work relationships, our Father, as a, as a just something, a tool to be used in order to accomplish our own purposes. So, Lord, what I'm asking for us is that You would, by Your Spirit, work in our hearts to help us begin to love people like You love them, to begin to be genuine in our relationships, to, to get outside of our own shells, to be a little less self-absorbed, a little less self-focused, to have some compassion for those around us. And then as opportunity makes itself available to speak about the greatest truth the world has ever known. That we can have our sin forgiven and reconciled to our Creator through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.